As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and I have spent the last 24 hours reading way too much about American soccer teams because we're continuing our preview of the 2022 MLS season, which kicks off this weekend. Yesterday, we made it through the entire Eastern Conference. Today, we go west. 14 teams to preview. There are coaching changes, new faces, big signings, reasons for optimism for some, reasons for anger for others. To break it down, I'm joined by two fine fellows. Up first is Mr. Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Hello, Taylor. Hello, and Mr. Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Hello. There is no rhyming, no clever introductions, no side questions. We've exhausted <laughs> all of these categories. We've just got MLS to be discussed, and Joe has a class to get to. Because of time constraints, we're going to jump right into it. As I said, previewing each team, taking a look at some of the changes, some of the tactics, some of the coaches, and maybe getting a prediction or two for each club. We're going to start with Austin FC. Top of the table, Joe. I'm assuming that's where they will stay for the season. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. That would make Josh Wolf and Claudio Reyna and the rest of that Austin crew quite happy. I don't think we're likely to see Austin stick up top for too long oh, no. this season. They finished 12th, second to last, in the Western Conference last year. In terms of offseason changes and, and shifts and moves, they lost Thomas Pochettino. Uh, he's moved back to South America. He was not a success for them last season. Central midfielders moved back, I believe, to Argentina. Matt Beasler retired, so he's no longer a presence in the middle of their back line. Austin, in terms of key arrivals and additions, they did most of their business for this window, and this sounds weird, but they did most of their business for this window last season, bringing bringing Sebastian Dreisi, who's an attacking midfielder they got from Zenit St. Petersburg in Russia. They brought him in midseason, and Musa Jite, as well as striker, they brought him in midseason, and they both played the last maybe third of the year in Austin. And they have talent. They have real talent, and I'll talk more about Dreisi later on. This offseason, though, they did bring in uh, Johan Valencia, excuse me, a Colombian central defensive midfielder, 25 years old, likes to cover ground, is good at covering ground, likes to win the ball, is good at winning the ball. That's huge for Austin. Last year, they came out under Josh Wolf in their first ever season, and they played with the ball. They were a high-volume possession team, fourth most possession in MLS last year, in year one for them. They started the season in a 4-3-3, 
played out of a 4-2-3-1 quite a bit more as the season went on. And that's the shape for me that makes the most sense for them this season, that 4-2-3-1. You put Alex Ring and, and Johan Valencia next to each other with Druisi ahead of them. And that's a pretty solid midfield trio. That gives them something really, really important, which is defensive stability, especially in counter-pressing situations. Austin last season, one of the biggest reasons why they struggled so much is that they were bad at counter-pressing. Man, they allowed more chances in defensive transition. So after they lose the ball, that moment where they're recovering defensively and the opposition is attacking in transition, Austin allowed more chances in that phase than any other team in MLS last year. And, and they're banking on, really, they're banking on Valencia helping to improve that big time. Valencia and an offseason where they can actually game plan that out a little bit more. That's one thing that needs to change. Chance creation is another thing that really needs to improve for them. And they're hoping that Druisi is going to help them with that this season. Austin were in the bottom third in MLS last year in XG per 90. A lot of really good possession sequences, like I talked about expecting from Charlotte this season, but not a lot of end product for them. So Sebastian Druisi is my, my player to watch for Austin this season. He has genuine quality in attacking midfield, can play off the right or off the left or centrally. I'm curious to see if he can build on his season uh, where he scored five goals in, in not a ton of games last year for Austin. My very specific prediction, gentlemen, Johan Valencia, a guy I've mentioned a few times already, and Alex Ring will combine for 5,500 minutes in 2022. That's about uh, 2,750 minutes apiece, 2,750 minutes each, which I think is doable. It's a lot of minutes, especially for Alex Ring, who is now over 30. But really, if Austin want to compete, they're going to need those two guys in central midfield almost every single game. They have other talent there. Danny Pereira is a super draft pick from last year out of Virginia Tech that I really like. Smooth on the ball, but not not the most aggressive player. They they need some real bite in that midfield to allow them to win possession, recycle the ball, and, and possess the ball in high-value areas. I think if Valencia and Ring don't play a lot of minutes, Austin are going to be in trouble. Do you think Josh Wolf has the potential to be in trouble this season, or does he have uh, still a bit of a grace period? I think it's a good question, Taylor. I think he's got another year, right? Mm-hmm. Coming into the league last season, if this, if this was an established team where Josh Wolf would come in and they finished 12th last year, and, and he followed it up this season with a, another poor year, we'd be having a different conversation. But year one, now headed into year two for Austin, he's got a little bit of leeway, leeway I would imagine. And how much voiceover work are we expecting from Matthew McConaughey this season? <laughs> how many ads will have him over-talking slow-mo highlights? Do you think? Uh, it, the over-under there is probably 2.5, and I'm, okay. I'm probably smashing the over on that one. Yeah, I'll one. take that over. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should have also mentioned, uh, I did not start the timer because on our last show, Joe was very good about coming in under the clock. Uh, I do not have my travel mug with me today. I have my daughter's elephant that makes noise. Oh, so there yeah. we go. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What's the? It was a giraffe that did the Bleacher the Bleacher Report show with us, right? What was the giraffe's name? Uh, Sophie, Sophie. The giraffe. Sophie, yes. right? Sophie, okay. Does the good. elephant have a name? Uh, Le Elephant. I don't know. Drogba. Her name is Drogba. That's that's what we're going with. Because wonderful. An Shake Drogba go. around and and we'll move on. My daughter now has two elephants, I've realized. One who have just uh, come up with the name Drogba. The other one is named Nuhu. We got it in the Seattle airport. So yes. uh, more on Seattle later. Right now, we're going to go to Graham Ruffin to tell us about the Colorado Rapids uh, as I frantically get my timer in front of me. <laughs> and now that I have it, Graham Ruffin, take it away. Thank you. So the Colorado Rapids 2021 was a very good year for them as they finished top of the Western Conference in the regular season. That was slightly surprising given the the quality of the teams that finished below them, most notably Seattle and Sporting KC, but Robin Fraser has built a good team. Um, However, they ended up losing to the Portland Timbers in the conference semi-finals. 
Can they go further than that this year? There's good reason to believe the Rapids will perform in much the same way that they did in 2021. In terms of departures, there's certainly one notable name, Kellen Acosta. He was traded to LAFC for $1.5 million in GAM. Acosta was a a pretty important member of this team, so how the the Rapids replace him is certainly one storyline ahead of the 2022 season. Cole Bassett is gone. He signed for Feyenoord in the Netherlands in the January window. Austin Trusty will be following him out of the Rapids as well. In the summer, he's going to to Arsenal. That was a, a deadline day deal. He's still at the club for the first half of the season, but he will be off. And then there's uh, Eunice Namley, who was the, the Rapids' sole DP last season, Colorado refused the option to sign him permanently and so he went back to Krasnodar and then he went on to Sparta Rotterdam so he's no longer there. In the other direction, Brian Acosta has signed from FC Dallas, one Acosta out, another one in. He's expected to be a starter in that midfield unit, that very good Rapids midfield unit that I'm going to talk about a little bit more later uh, alongside Mark anthony Kay and Jack Price. Uh, USA under-20 defender Abubakar Kaita, youngster, has been signed from uh, the Columbus crew. Max Alves, a player that I'm not familiar with, he's he's arrived from Flamenco in, in Brazil. He's an attacking midfielder. When I was watching some of his tape, he can play as a number 10. Um, or he can play slightly deeper as well, depending on how Fraser's system um, accommodates him. But I think the, the Rapids are pretty well set in, in that, that deep midfield area. In terms of the system... It's likely to be a, a 3-5-2. The structure of this Colorado team was so sound last season, and it, and it should be again this season as well. If there is one area this team was lacking last year, and this always comes up in discussion about the Rapids, it's, uh, it's they don't really have a regular goal scorer, and that, that still seems to be an issue for them in 20, going into 2022. That was the thing that stopped them from going any further in the playoffs. If they have that player, that number nine, that goal scorer to build around, they probably get past Portland in the conference semi-finals, a match that they had plenty of chances in, ter- territorial advantage, lots of the ball. They weren't able to take that chance, and it, and it cost them in, in, in the postseason. And um, yeah, that that's an area where if Colorado can find that player, they're already pretty much real contenders territory as a side, but it, it, it might just tip them over and make them one of, one of the front runners, one of the real favourites to, to go and win MLS Cup this season. Uh, player to watch, Mark anthony Kay. I have to mention him. I think that midfield duo of Kay and Jack Price is so important to this Rapids team, and I expect... Kay in particular, I hear the rattle, I hear Drogba. <laughs> uh, I think he's going to have another good season. He's the guy who takes the ball from the defence and is creative in doing something with it. Um, perhaps the logic in allowing Kellen Acosta to leave is that Kay can go a bit deeper and be someone who dictates that passing a bit more, especially if they've got that Brazilian Max Alves coming in. He plays as a number 10. And then my VSP finally is related to that Rapids midfield unit. With Kay moving back a little bit, I think he will match Jack Price for key passes because I think he is going to be that guy who breaks the line with some of his passes. He he already does that for the Rapids, but I do think he will uh, sit slightly deeper with Acosta gone this season. So Price was at 2.5 per 90 last season for key, uh, for key passes. K was at 1.1. My VSP is that K will match Price for key passes in 2022. All right, there we are with the Colorado Rapids uh, taking Brian Acosta from FC Dallas. They, they took Kellen Acosta from from them as well. I took is maybe 
making it sound like it was against their will. It's but a procession of Acostas through yeah. uh, Colorado, Colorado exactly. Rapids. Exactly. And, and with Kellen Acosta, Taylor, it might actually have been against his will. Honestly, <laughs> that is also true. Good point, Joe. Uh, and this is my what was ham-fisted, but it ended up working out, way of transitioning to talk about FC Dallas. Stop me if you've heard this before. Lots of potential. Can it be realized? Uh, FC Dallas last season, 11th out of 13 in the West, 7, 12, and 15, 33 points. The big one, 56 goals against and a negative nine goal difference. Defense, mostly a dumpster fire. Joint, joint most uh, goals conceded, along with Austin at 56. That's a lot of goals. Ricardo Pepe's 13 goals saved them from an even worse season, and Ricardo Pepe is no longer there. Uh, the big headline move to Augsburg for 20 million was completed. Also out the door, Brian Acosta, as Graham mentioned. Ryan Hollingshead traded to LAFC. Uh, Dom, Dom Dwyer was brought in and then bought out. And Justin <laughs> Shea was loaned to Hoffenheim for 18 months with an option to buy. Expectations are that he will be in Europe for a good long while. The major new arrival would be Nico Estevez, former Burhalter assistant at Columbus and with the U.S. men's national team. He's from Spain. He had some time with Valencia as an interim manager, Valencia B before that. The expectation is that FC Dallas will go with a 4-3-3 with an emphasis on possession under Estevez. To do so, they've brought in some talent. First, Paul Ariola from DC United for $2 million. Uh, league record trade. Joe, were you excited to see that one uh, from your piece about intra-league moves? I was. I love Ariola in this team, and I love the rest of this front three, Taylor, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but I do want to talk about it, so I'm just going to flip it back to you so you can get it out of the way. I should do my best. Also, uh, Paul Ariola on the right. Alan Velasco brought in from Independiente for $7 million. That's a club record signing. He will be on the left. He's a 19-year-old from, as I said, Independiente, can play left, can play as a number 10, can play slightly deeper. But the expectation is that he'll be on the left wing. Jesus Ferreira, now a DP, takes over the Ricardo Pepe role. Sort of. Uh, as the number nine will likely be a false nine, and then it will be Velasco running in to occupy that space. Uh, Paul Ariola kind of hugging the touchline, maybe cutting in two, but that would be the rough idea I have for their attack. Marco Farfan was brought in uh, in the Ryan Hollingshead trade, so he'll uh, supplement the back line a little bit. And there are reasons for optimism. Money spent, still have money available. Ferreira inked to that DP deal, but there are concerns. The track record of not very successful designated players. Maybe there hasn't been enough change along the back line. And then I have some questions about Alan Velasco, which gets to my specific prediction. Uh, there were some discrepancies in the numbers I saw reported for him. I messaged you all both about this. I don't think I was just missing something obvious, uh, but most previews I saw said he'd made about 70 appearances for Independiente, scored 8 to 10 goals, had 10 assists. From everything I could find, it was closer to 46 appearances, 35 starts, 3 goals, and 6 appearances. That's not a huge deal. But when you look further at those numbers, uh, his career average of shots per 90 is 2. His career average of shots on target is 27.9%. So he doesn't get that many shooting chances, and he doesn't put that many of those shooting chances on frame. You couple that with the fact that it can take youngsters, especially foreign youngsters, a little bit of time to adjust to the league. And I have a feeling... He will not necessarily hit the ground running. My specific prediction, because I didn't want to just say, like, he's going to be bad. I think that's lazy. It's that Alan Velasco's numbers from the first half of the season will be eclipsed by his numbers in the second half. And there might even be some chat early on about how he's a bust or how it's not working out. But I think he, in watching footage of him, is just such a a pacey dribbler. He takes people on. He goes at people. But I, I would say he's not particularly selfish. And I think that's why he doesn't get as many shots. It seemed like he was taking people on, getting to the end line, looking for those low crosses or uh, pulling in defenders and then laying it off for somebody else. 
And I think it'll take a little bit of time to get everybody on board and everybody functioning within the system. So I think they might start slow. But I think once they get going and everybody knows how to play around him and Paul Ariola is doing some things and Jesus Ferreira is running all over the place, I think we will see a stronger FC Dallas team in the second half of the season. That is my FC Dallas preview, aside from to say that their midfield still pretty good. Paxton Pomacall, Brandon Cervano, and uh, Facundo Kinoy, uh, wait, Ki, Kinion, excuse me, there, I butchered that pronunciation, Edwin Cerillo also in that conversation as well, lots of talent, lots of potential, can they put it all together, we shall see if Estevez can do it. Yeah, two things quickly for me, Taylor, I mentioned that front three, I really am excited to watch how that group gels, but you are very wise to maybe maybe slow things down slightly, especially with Velasco as a teenager coming into Major League Soccer, having some visa troubles. So I mean, he's been late arriving to this group or will be late arriving to this group for preseason. So I don't expect that he'll be a major factor in week one, maybe even a couple weeks that can go by here at the start of the season. But he's talented and I'm curious to see how he meshes in along with Ferreira and Areola. I'm also curious... You know, we're all thinking that Ferreira is going to be this starting number nine, but Frank O'Hara is a, a DP for this team, and I'm wondering how many minutes he's going to get. I, I hope, because I enjoy watching Jesus Ferreira, that it's it's more Ferreira at that nine spot, and it seems like that's the direction that Nico Estevez is leaning right now, but I'm curious to watch that as well. And the only other thing is, man, I kind of wonder what Luchi Gonzalez is thinking, right? As soon as he <laughs> leaves, you know, he, he's fired, right? And then Nico Estevez comes in, and they yeah. swap jobs as Greg, Greg Brawlter's assistant and FC Dallas manager. They start spending money, right? I mean, Paul Ariola, $2 million, a record deal. Yeah. Taylor, you mentioned it. Alan Velasco, a club record incoming MLS transfer. I mean, where was this before? I can't help but feel like Lucci got a little bit of a raw deal here. But I think Dallas fans should still be excited about this new era. Maybe they'll just keep swapping back and forth. And one will always be assisting <laughs> Berhalter and one will always be coaching Dallas. And then they can just keep it going like that. I like it, Taylor. Equitable. All right. All right. Uh, Joe, I appreciate your uh, additions to that one. And I appreciate if you would tell us a little bit about the Houston Dynamo. The Houston Dynamo finished last in the Western Conference last season. They were the the final of the Texas teams that we're previewing today, none of which had good seasons last year. The Dynamo lost a few key players in the offseason. Maxi Arruti is probably the most impactful loss, but he's uh, not exactly a game changer in MLS. So they they didn't lose a ton of really valuable on-field performers. But the most notable thing here is the coaching change. Tab Ramos is no longer in charge. New coach Pablo Nakamura is the man at this point for the Houston Dynamo under new ownership, I should add. Nakamura is a 38-year-old Brazilian coach who was coaching SKC2 in the USL Championship last season. From reports that came out around the time of Houston's coaching search, it doesn't look like or sound like Nakamura was the first choice for the Houston Dynamo, but he is here now and he is in charge of this team's on-field product. Sebastian Ferreira on the player side is the biggest name that's into this roster this season. Designated player, club record signing, a club record transfer fee for them. 24-year-old number nine, he's Paraguayan, played in Paraguay and Mexico, and has put up some pretty strong scoring numbers in the past. Likes to hang out in the box. He, he can also drop in and do a little bit of connecting, but from what I've seen is more of a traditional number nine in that sense. Uh, Houston also, and this is reported by Tom Bogert, I believe, over the weekend, also made an offer to sign Hector Herrera from Atletico Madrid. He's not yeah, really playing much at Atleti. I don't know that this move really transforms Houston, but it's it's an interesting signing and a big name and a player that I think would be very, very good in Major League Soccer. So I'm going to be monitoring that as as we all just refresh Tom's Twitter feed over and over again. <laughs> in terms of playing style under Nagamura, it's really hard to say, right? I mean, Graham kind of hit at this with Ezra Hendrickson last season. Uh, last season, man, it feels like a season ago. Yesterday, <laughs> in a Chicago Fire preview, it's hard with a new-to-MLS coach coming in. It seems 
Likely that we'll see a pretty straightforward 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. I'm not expecting this team to hold much of the ball. They certainly didn't last season. They were much more of a pressing team that would then sit a little bit deeper and, and try to attack in transition. So this year, I, I'd expect to see some of those principles maintained from Ramos to Nagamura. Direct play, some smart defensive pressuring moments, and then Memo Rodriguez, the wingers, and, and Ferreira as that nine doing some damage. This team will play like the underdog in a lot of games tactically because they're going to be the underdog in a lot of games. They don't have a ton of really top-level talent yet, but it does seem like the new ownership is trying to change that, which I do appreciate. A couple players to watch here quickly from me. Karaskia, a Panamanian central midfielder. He's a, a really nice ball progressor and was clean in his, what, five, 600 minutes for the Dynamo last year coming over from Spain. I would love to see more of him this year, and I believe that we will. Another one is Tyler Pasher, 27-year-old Canadian winger. Started hot last season, then had some injuries, lost some rhythm, but he can create, man. He's clever on the ball at wide. He's quick, has a great left foot. He's dangerous, and I, I really hope we see more of him in Houston this season because I believe he's a very good player and even has a chance to break into the Canadian squad before the World Cup. We'll see if that happens or not. My very specific prediction, guys, as Drogba is telling me that I've been talking for far too long, is that the Houston Dynamo, I mentioned that new ownership in Ted Siegel, they will make another DP signing before the year is over. Siegel spent some money on Ferreira. They're apparently looking for a central midfielder, hint, hint, Hector Herrera, and a winger. Um, but it sounds like they're open to using that third DP spot somewhere in this squad, probably in one of those two positions. They need to, if they really want to compete in the West, they need to bring in more talent. And it feels like that's going to happen. Or at least if the Dynamo want to compete this year, they need that to happen. Lovely work, Mr. Lowry. Looks like we have covered Texas. Graham Ruthven, take us to California to talk about the LA Galaxy. So the LA Galaxy 2021 was a a strange year for the Galaxy. They started off pretty well. There was a stage where they were in the top three in the West and people were saying Chicharito was uh, was back and was the player that the Galaxy had signed him to be. From there, though, Greg Vanny's team failed to clinch a playoff place. They won just one of their final 17 matches in the regular season. They finished eighth in the West, which is... As you're not really used to seeing the Galaxy down there in the West. Maybe maybe recently, yes, but in terms of their calibre as an MLS side, no, that's that's unusual. And Vanny has spoken about how embarrassing that end of the season was. So they they won't uh, tolerate that again this year. This is this is a squad that experienced a lot of turnover last year, and and the Galaxy are still ca- counting on that turnover giving them the basis of a good squad. With that with with that in mind, there hasn't been all that much activity in the off season. There has been some. Uh, departures and arrivals. So Sebastian Legette, as I covered yesterday, he's now at the, at the New England Revolution. The other big name no longer in Carson is Jonathan Dos Santos. Um, he, injuries were a bit of an issue for him. And so they have freed up his DP spot to bring in Douglas Costa, who is certainly a big name. Something obviously the Galaxy specialize in big names. Costa is now 31, but he's been an elite performer for teams like Bayern Munich and Juventus and Shakhtar Donetsk over the course of his career. And if he gets rolling in MLS, he could be a, a big factor for the Galaxy as a Brazilian winger. And that kind of tells you what he's like as a player. He should be exciting for the Galaxy. Less eye-catching, but still potentially shrewd, is the addition of uh, Mark Delgado, who he's followed Greg Vanny a year late um, from TFC to the Galaxy. Um, Vanny likes to set up his team in a 4-2-3-1. This is a, a team with a lot of attacking talent. They have good overlapping fullbacks. They have high-quality wingers, as I've just mentioned with Costa there. The PCs are definitely there for the Galaxy to be a dynamic, entertaining team. But the problem last season was they were sometimes too entertaining. 
Jonathan Bond was a big success for them in goals, but he's having to, to do way too much work. Some of the individual defending from the Galaxy last season wasn't good enough. So th- there are questions over them as, as a defensive unit. Player to watch. So I'm going to go slightly left field here. Um, just going on what I've seen from preseason, he's looked really good. I think there's a bit of excitement that maybe he's a year two player. I'm talking about Kevin Cabral. Um, he, Douglas Costa is maybe in terms of his pedigree, the most obvious player to watch, but Cabral arrived at the Galaxy last year with a big reputation, big price tag. He didn't really live up to either of those things. He scored just five times in 28 games, but he's still kicking around in Carson. And as I say, you just wonder if he is a year two player. Vanny has spoken about how he thinks physically he's a lot stronger this season. He's quoted as saying when he arrived at the Galaxy, he looked like, quote, a wet noodle. <laughs> which was quite uh, quite interesting. But he's been in the gym. He's added a bit of muscle. As I say, he's impressed in preseason. So maybe this is the season that he becomes the kind of young star for for this Galaxy team. Um, my VSP is going to focus on Cabral, actually, because I really have liked what I've seen from him in preseason. Galaxy fans are excited. I think we're going to see more of a final product from him this year, which was the thing that was lacking from him in 2021. My VSP is that his goals to shot ratio is going to double for this season. So he was sitting at 0.1 last season. I say he gets to 0.2, basically meaning he's put, he's putting away double the, the chances he did last season. So I think he got five goals last season. I, I think he's going to get double figures because from what it seems like in preseason, he has added more of a, a cutting edge to his, his game. Obviously, the, flip, the other flip side of this is that he completely flames out and he's gone by the summer and a massive flop. But there we go. I'm putting my neck on the line. Graham, uh, honest question. I promise there's no meaning behind this. But is is increasing from point one to point two, is that a, a pretty like sizable difference? Yeah. So he would, he, at the moment, for, so for last year, he was in the... 47th percentile for goals to Mm -hmm. shot ratio from the context that i looked for it it would put him up into kind of like the seven the 70th and 80th percentile for attacking midfielders and wingers and that's where you're starting to get to him being one of the the most kind of decisive players in his position in the league so yeah that that is quite a a sizable difference as i say he got five goals last season which isn't it's not terrible. It's just with his price tag and the reputation that he came with, it's it's not great. So if he doubles that, then that is a pretty a pretty good return, especially if Chicharito can't get on the pitch, which was obviously an issue last season and has been an issue for him for a number of years. So if Cabral is putting up some numbers, that's going to help the Galaxy. There we are. All right, that's the LA Galaxy. We're going to move from Carson all the way to Los Angeles in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a break to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show and our Western Conference Preview. We have done the first five teams. That takes us to LAFC. Lots of talent, unproven coach, tons of experience, bounce back season. That's what I'm feeling. When last we saw them, they looked very different. Ninth in the West, uh, 53 goals for, 51 against. So an okay goal difference, but not good enough to make the playoffs. New manager, Bob Bradley gone, Steve Chirundolo in. Exciting for anyone who wants Steve Chirundolo to be as good as a coach as he was for the U.S. national team. I think we all have an eye towards Steve Chirundolo one day taking over the U.S. Uh, but before he can do that, he has to manage L.A., or gets to manage L.A., I should say. And their signings are pretty experienced. That's what I want to focus on for a moment. They've basically gone for, uh, I heard Kalen Carr make this argument, experienced, experienced MLS players from solid teams. And I did some math, gentlemen. I've got some math for you, but we'll get to that uh, in a moment. Because first, I want to tell you who they brought in. Kalen Acosta from the Colorado Rapids, $1.1 million, uh, with some incentives on top of that. We're unsure if he'll be a number six or a number eight. Toronto has refused to be nailed down on that one. Uh, but I would expect him to be a number six in what we assume will be Steve Toronto's 4-3-3. That will be possession heavy. Uh, Kellen Acosta in there at the base. Maxime Crepeau arrives from Vancouver for $1 million. He will start in goal. He will make uh, some solid performances, we would assume, because he is a solid goalkeeper and better than what they've had previously. Uh, Ismael Tajiri Shradi acquired from Charlotte uh, via trade. Franco Escobar from Atlanta United. Ryan Hollingshead from FC Dallas. And Ilya Sanchez from Sporting KC. Those six players I just mentioned, Acosta, Crepo, Escobar, Tajiri Shradi, Hollingshead, and Sanchez, 740 MLS appearances between them, 55,538 minutes. That is just over 617 full 90-minute games between those players. So they basically (laughs) signed over 600 games of full experience, did LAFC. Uh, They did have some players depart. Uh, Bryce Duke goes to Inter-Miami. Pablo Cisniega goes to Charlotte. Marco Farfan traded to FC Dallas. The major one, uh, Eduard Atuesta to Palmeiras for $4 million plus the potential for $3 million in bonuses, so that could end up being a big deal, but they do lose a Twesto who was so important for them uh, last season and in seasons past. Instead, they will be relying on somebody by the name of Carlos Vela. You may have heard of him. 33 years old, reports that came out yesterday said he wants to go back to Europe, uh, but is all in for this season and really wants to get the job done. Make of that what you will. Christian Arango, also going to be very important, obviously, joined from Milanarios in August of 2021. 14 goals in 17 games is a not bad return. Good enough for MLS Newcomer of the Year. Natural striker can play back to goal. Will help bring Rodriguez and Vela into the attack. And I do think this team is going to be better than they were last season for because of the experience because of the talent and because i think steve trundle has a point to prove he only has the one senior gig and that was with las vegas lights lafc's uh, usl affiliate so i think he wants to show that he deserves this job i think everybody wants to show that last season was was a weird one but just a one-off and a big player i think that could be a part of that I don't know why I focused on him, but I did. I got really focused on Franco Escobar. Yes, And that's where I'm going to stick. (laughs) Because three seasons with Atlanta, and then last year on loan with Newell's Old Boys, and that did not make sense to me. Because everything I have seen from him is that he's a very good player, and a very versatile player at that. I asked around, it seems like maybe there was a little bit of a personality conflict, and I'm not saying he was being a jerk or refusing to play, it just seems like there was a clash there, and he wasn't quite fitting with the philosophy of Atlanta, and that seems to be the case for a couple different coaches and a few different players, so he was sent out on loan, has now been traded, 
But he's just so versatile. He can play across the back line. He's speedy. He's intense. He's got a really good work rate. He gets up the field. Felipe Cardenas uh, had, uh, he said he's really good on the ball, deceptively technical, takes good risks in possession. And I think he will be used to facilitate attacking play. He can be a center back. I think he might also be uh, a right back, even though Kim is is very much uh, involved in that conversation as well. But I still think Franco Escobar, at the end of the season, will exceed his record for goals and assists in a season, which, having just asked Graham about his uh, statistical predictions, I will say mine isn't that extraordinary, because Franco Escobar's best season was one goal and two assists for Atlanta United in 2019. But that was a pretty attacking, pretty exciting Atlanta team, and I think he'll be even more involved in the attack, even more involved in moving the ball forward and progressing the ball into that final third, and I think Franco Escobar is going to have a very good statistical season. He will break his record for goals and assists in one season. Joe, why were you excited that I went with Franco Escobar? I just love Franco Escobar, man. He's so, so, so good. He was an underrated part of those Atlanta United teams and and made it through a little bit to the Frank DeBoer era and then was shipped off to Argentina, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. Taylor. He can play out wide. He can play as a center back and a back three. He's one of these guys, along with Kamal Miller, who I mentioned yesterday, Andy Nahar, who Graham had in his DC preview. Alistair Johnson kind of fits this mold as well with Montreal. There's a bunch of these hybrid center back, fullback players, and Escobar might be the best of the lot. I mean, he can do all of those jobs very well. Great on the ball, physical, aggressive, skilled. He's incredible, and I think LAFC got themselves a really good player. Uh, no arguments here, Joe Lowry. Uh, I will say, uh, if you listeners ever want to do a bunch of uh, data analysis, which is what I'm calling uh, adding up numbers to get to the totals I got for the players brought in, uh, just know that you should not wait until the very last player to realize that FBref uh, breaks those minutes down by league. Didn't realize that. I was doing all the math for players that have jumped around to different teams in different leagues and then realized at the end of it that they just categorize everything by league. So that will save you some time. <laughs> FBref is great. Uh, where shall we head next, gentlemen? I believe we're going to Minnesota, which means, Joe Lowry, I believe you're back on the clock. Oh, yeah, baby. Minnesota United finished fifth in the Western Conference last year. They lost in the first round of the Western Conference playoffs. They also lost Ozzy Alonso and Jan Gregush in central midfield this offseason. Ozzy Alonso moving to Atlanta, Gregush moving to San Jose. Uh, those are key key losses for them, especially Ozzy Alonso and what he brings, even though he's, he's well on the wrong side of 30 at this point. Uh, Minnesota have replaced sort of some of that depth in central midfield by signing Kervin Ariaga, Honduran international central midfielder. I really like Ariaga's game. He's tall. He's lanky. Generally, though, really clean on the ball and can and can progress play forward, especially on the dribble and plot a, a nice pass every once in a while, too. Ariaga is in in central midfield, and Luis Amaria is back in Minnesota as another option at the number nine spot for them. Amaria is the guy who promised 25 goals when he signed for Minnesota United, scored two goals, then was no longer on the team, and now Adrian Heath says that he owes them 23 more goals, which is completely fair. Mostly with this Minnesota team, it's business as usual. It's going to be a 4-2-3-1. Emmanuel Reynoso runs the show. Okay, one not business as usual thing. Reynoso was in jail briefly over this offseason. Uh, you guys can read more about that, but he was released on bail. There's not a ton of information out there, really, or maybe I just don't understand some of these different things. But he was cleared to travel to the U.S. and was cleared to play. So that's what's going to happen. It's going to be Reynoso as the 10. Everything revolves around him. Franco, uh, Franco Fragapane made a strong, uh, made a strong appearance in Major League Soccer when they signed him last season. He's going to be out on the left side, really loves that half space and is very dangerous on that wing. 
They're going to press a solid amount, Minnesota United. They're going to get in your grill. Then they're going to drop back into a 4-4-2 block, absorb pressure, and really hit on the break, which is where, they're, where they can so often thrive with Reynoso and Fragapane, especially who knew a little bit at the 9, and then maybe Amaria up there as well. My player to watch, the, the right answer is probably Reynoso or Fragapane in terms of the most exciting technical players. But one guy I'm really curious about, and Taylor, this name will ring, ring familiar for you, is Asani Dotson. Man, I, I had flashbacks doing this preview and thinking back to last season of his work down in Guadalajara in, in Olympic qualifying, where the U.S. obviously did not do well. But Dotson was really fun in that tournament. And I think he's going to have a lot more responsibility for this Minnesota United team now than he ever has been. He played all over the place last year, right back. I think he played on the left. He played in central midfield. But this year with Ozzy gone, with Jan Gregus gone, that's two spots in central midfield that have opened up. Kervin Ariaga is going to fill one of them, most likely, at least as a depth option. But Hassani Dotson could be the guy who really steps up into the role and, and, and fills Ozzy's role as a ball winner. And he can do that very well. He's going to do a lot of the dirty work, I would bet, and ground coverage in central midfield. So my, my very specific prediction for this Minnesota United team, who I do think will be very good this season and finish towards the top of the Western Conference, it's Hassani Dotson, the guy I just mentioned, will finish in the top five in Major League Soccer in ground coverage. He finished just outside the top 50 last year. But I think that jump up to the top five is feasible, given that he has a real chance to slide in as a full-time central midfielder this season. So Hassani Dotson, top five in league, uh, top five in MLS and ground coverage. Uh, you guys can book that one. All right, I like it, Joe. Minnesota covered. Do you feel the loyalty to Minnesota jo- to Minnesota Joe, or are you still Arizona Joe? Um, I'm split. My loyalties are split a little bit, but uh, you know, Minnesota United, they can stand in as my MLS team of choice for sure. All right, so Minnesota is Joe's stand-in MLS team of choice, but we're going to uh, talk Nashville, Graham's lifelong team, the team that he supported oh, since yeah. birth. Graham, tell us about Nashville. <laughs> so Nashville, yeah, they were they were something of a, I think it's fair to say a surprise package last season in that they finished third in the Eastern Conference, which was maybe above what people had, had expected of them. That in itself is a talking point for Nashville because they 100% won't finish third in the East this season. That's because... <laughs> They're now in the West. They took the whole city and <laughs> moved good. it. Nashville <laughs> is good. now in Arizona. Joe, if you look out the window, you'll see Nashville yeah, right there's, there. Yeah, there's a lot of bachelorette parties here all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't really know what happened with it. that, but yeah, they're <laughs> everywhere, guys. <laughs> just just kidding. MLS rejigged the conferences because yeah. they just can't stop adding expansion teams at the moment. Um Going back to their, their, their team, the actual football stuff, uh, there's no real, there was no real reason for Nashville to make any wholesale changes. As I say, last season was, was pretty, uh, successful, but there are still some notable arrivals and departures. The loss of Alistair Johnson is a pretty big one and allowing, uh, Dylan Nealis to leave could also create a bit of a problem. Um, I'd say Nashville are now pretty short on the right side of their defence and they could have a, a, bit, a bit of a hole there if they don't make some moves to, to fill that area of, of, the, of the squad. In terms of players that have been signed, Sean Davis is now at Nashville after arriving from the Red Bulls. I think he's going to be a pretty important figure for them in mid- midfield. And then there's Teal Bunbury as well, a familiar name. It seems unlikely that Bunbury is going to be a regular starter for Nashville, but he does give them a, another option in attack, which I, I guess can't really... Hurt. Last season, Nashville were one of the best defensive units in the whole league. In fact, statistically, they were the best defensive unit in the whole league. No team conceded fewer goals. They only conceded 33. That was the thing that gave them the basis to finish third in the East. However, there was some criticism over how they drew an incredible 18 of their 34 regular season games. That that really is quite incredible. I obviously knew that, but I hadn't quite... 
I think I'd forgotten it was that many games out of their regular regular season schedule. They were hard to beat. They lost just four times. But I think it's fair to say Nashville could do with turning some of those draws into uh, some more wins. In preseason, Gary Smith, head coach Gary Smith, he's he's adjusted his system to 3-4-3 with wingbacks providing width. Uh, Hani Mukhtar, who will come on to a little bit later, he's the, the one that gives them... Um, He's the one who's given a bit of freedom to create some chaos and attack. Sapong and uh, Aki Loba around him, buzzing around, filling in that space. And then you have the the spine of that team, which is is pretty solid, as I say. Um, Nashville, they I saw it described as low risk low risk soccer that that they play, and I think that is fair. That will likely be the case again this season with Annie Mukter, their main threat. Um, when you are looking at Nashville's key players, you have to highlight Hanny Mukhtar. He finished 2021 20, with 16 goals and 10 assists. He was up there in the MVP discussion, obviously losing out to Carlos Hill in the end, but there wasn't really all that much between them. He can operate anywhere across the forward line. He is um, good with both feet. He is capable of, of uh, creating a chance with a pass or testing a goalkeeper or even finding the net with a long-range shot. He's good on the dribble. He is a pretty decent, or actually better than decent. He he is a very good all-round centre-forward. And um, I think the problem for Nashville might be if he spends a period on the sidelines through injury, or even if he hits a a patch of of bad form, do they then have the, the players to break open a game that that might be the thing that their, their weakness is do they have that variety in attack my vsp finally actually relates to one thing i haven't mentioned yet nashville are going to be moving into a, a new stadium in may um and that is interesting because last season their home form was was fantastic they didn't lose a single uh, game at home last season I don't think that happens again this season. Not and not just because uh, going unbeaten at home a whole season is, is is fairly remarkable and unusual. I just think when you move to a new stadium, there are a lot of different factors we've seen throughout history. Teams maybe take a little bit of time to settle in. So I actually think they're going to lose. They're still going to be solid as a team. They're still going to probably draw a bunch of games. They're probably not going to lose many, but I do think they'll lose as many games as at home in 2022 as they do away from home and that'll probably be due to that 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 stadium move and are you going to be okay with that lifelong nashville fan graham ruffin well i think joe now is the nashville fan given that they're outside oh, yes, his window course. i'm just yeah. absorbing these different mls teams and claiming them as my own i i did enjoy i was watching an atlanta united season preview and one of the questions for one of the journalists was how do you feel about losing one of your rivals to another conference and that is a weird <laughs> mls specific type of question oh man uh, Portland has not lost one of their uh, either of their major rivals in their region. That's who we're going to talk about next, the Portland Timbers, a veteran core that's made a final uh, in two straight years, three of the past four. But can they make it over the line? We shall see. When last we saw them, they were beaten in the final after equalizing late. That was such a good final. Joe Lowry was there. He enjoyed it. He filmed a strip show at the corner flag, was it? <laughs> Yeah, that was. I forgot about that and forgot yeah, about how that could be phrased. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, that did happen. Uh, I'll move us. I'll move us away uh, from the the strip show and talk instead about the Portland Timbers and what they did. Fourth in the West, fifty five points, fifty six goals for, fifty two against. It's been a strange year for Portland. Uh, I will not go too heavily into this because Caitlin Murray, Meg Linehan, Jamie Goldberg have all done a very good job of doing it, uh, it at a much more detailed way. But there were the issues with Paul Riley, uh, Portland's. Uh, 
not refusal, but failure to report the allegations against him or make clear the allegations against him certainly didn't make them public. Um, Gavin Wilkinson, no longer the GM at the Thorns, who was involved in some of that, uh, is still with the Timbers. But then we also have the Andy Polo domestic violence story in which uh, the Timbers got involved. There were accusations of domestic violence. Those charges were downgraded. Then it seems like uh, if you're reading between the lines or reading some reports uh, from abroad that maybe there was another domestic violence incident this winter, and that led to his estranged wife uh, talking publicly about what had happened. That got some traction. That got picked up. It was investigated. Andy Polo has been released, but still a lot of consternation, a lot of confusion, a lot of anger about the way things have been handled. Uh, At Scrambled Megs, Megs with two Gs uh, on Twitter, has a very good thread that breaks down the entire timeline of events. I would encourage people to uh, to give that a read because it makes a lot more sense than what I've explained. But I just want to set that stage for Portland, a team with this rabid fan base, incredibly vocal, incredibly loud for the final. Some of that volume might not be there because I think some fans might be less inclined to be in the stadium. They're going to vote with their feet. And just worth noting that off-field sort of issue, the off-field fan relations are not great. So we'll see how that plays out with the rest of the season. In terms of the team itself, as I said, Andy Polo released, Jeff Attanella retired, Steve Clark uh, is gone, more on him later, Diego Valeri, Talanos, uh, for an undisclosed amount, he will return as club ambassador once he retires completely. Uh, incoming signings, there aren't that many, because again, Portland had a lot of things in place, but Jose Carlos uh, Van uh, Rankin uh, from Chivas on loan again, so they've got uh, their right-back situation sorted. Uh, they also brought in David Ayala from Estudiantes, 19 year old Argentine youth international. He can play as a number six. He can play as a number eight. He gives more midfield options to Gio Savarese, which will be important because Eric Williamson working his way back uh, from, I believe, an ACL tear targeting an April return. Uh, So that means Ayala has a chance for minutes early. They also brought in David Bingham, free agent. More on him later. The big move, I would say, not quite a move, but the big deal at least, was re-signing Sebastian Blanco. He returns as a DP. New deal, but he is 33. And that is always the question, is will age finally be an issue for Portland? Blanco, 33. Diego Charis, 35. Yimmy Charis, 30. Mabiala, Laris Mabiala, center back, is 34. Uh, Zuporic is, is 29, also a center back. Both currently injured with sports hernia surgeries. So the Timbers don't have a ton of depth at, at, at center back and defense. But we know what Gio Savarese will do. He will play a 4-3-3. He will uh, sit in a mid-block. He will look to counter. He's okay with not having possession. He will push his fullbacks up high. Does leave them vulnerable to counterattack. Uh, he did use more of a high press later on in the season, especially against RSL. And we could see more of that if Blanco can't play. But I have two major questions about Portland, and I have specific predictions that relate to both. The first would be, who is going to start up top for them in that 4-3-3? Felipe Mora uh, was the starter at the end of last season. I believe he got 13 goals, uh, but is out six to eight weeks to start the season. He had arthroscopic debridement of his knee. Don't know what that means, but I'm assuming you it means debridement was sure. removed from his knee. Yeah, uh, yes, or it was just completely made up. Uh, so Yaroslav Nizhgoda uh, comes back in. We'll likely get a go, assuming he is fit, uh, but he was injured for 2020 and 2021 preseasons. He, he had an ACL tear in there uh, in the 2020 season, I believe. Uh, needs to justify his DP price tag. 
He tends to drop in. He tends to link up play. And I think he will get a ton of minutes, especially early with Mora out. But I think he will also get lots of starts as the season goes on. I think he will double his career MLS goal figures. He had seven in 2020. He had three in 2021. So I'm saying he will have 10 goals this season. And that will be very important to Portland continuing their winning ways. The other major question for Portland is who starts in goal. As I said, veteran uh, Steve Clark left as a free agent for Houston. And I think that might be the the departure they end up mourning the most, even with Diego Valeri being the legend he is, was no longer that starter, no longer had the legs maybe. But when it comes to goal, we now have a bit of a conundrum. There's Alyaz uh, Ivacic. He's entering his fourth season with Portland, but hasn't played a ton of games. Last year, he played five, started for zero clean sheets, 12 against. Those aren't the best numbers. David Bingham, 32-year-old veteran, did not play a minute last season. Uh, His last uh, season was with the Galaxy in 2020. 18 games played, 35 goals conceded, so that's almost two per game. So there are question marks around both of these goalkeepers. I think Ivicic begins the season as the starter, but my prediction is that someone other than Ivicic or Bingham will start at least one game this season, a.k.a. they will bring in another goalkeeper uh, at some point here in this MLS season, but I think we're going to have a career year in MLS for Niaz Goda and a new goalkeeper at some point for the Portland Timbers. And that that goalkeeper that, situation, Taylor, sorry to cut in there, no, 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 is huge for Portland because last year they were very poor defensively, at least for stretches of the season. They were shipping chances, they were shipping goals, having a steady presence in the back for them that can't allow them to push those fullbacks forward, that can't allow them to play a little bit. Someone in net who can stop shots at an above average rate is key. And maybe that's one of the guys you mentioned. Maybe it's not. I mean, maybe that'll settle itself out as the season progresses. But that's got to be one of the biggest question marks around Portland right now. And I think you were wise to highlight that. Uh, A big question I have, Joe, is what's the season looking like for RSL? Ooh, let's talk about it. They finished seventh in the Western Conference last season and made a playoff run to the conference finals, which was incredibly entertaining. The uh, no-shot win over the Seattle Sounders has got to be one of the most legendary games in Major League (laughs) Soccer history for uh, a whole number of different reasons. Uh, Key departures this offseason for RSL. Albert Rusnak has got to be the most high-profile one. He is off to the Seattle Sounders. Uh, a key arrival, Sergio Cordova, on loan from Augsburg. He's a forward. David Blitzer, RSL of new ownership. David Blitzer is part of their new ownership group, and he's a part owner of Augsburg as well, uh, in addition to a number of other sports teams all across the U.S. and Europe. They're waiting for more, though, in terms of key arrivals. Uh, reports about a new central midfielder. That deal, to my knowledge, still has not been done. This is similar to the Houston situation in, in, in that it feels like there is smoke and there's probably even fire, but no real moves outside of Cordova or outside of uh, Sebastian Ferreira for Houston have really happened yet that are especially notable. That new ownership group, though, is huge. RSL had been league owned for, I want to say, 18 months. So David Blitzer and the Smith Entertainment Group are are now in. They were announced as new owners in January. That's big for this team, giving them some stability that they've really lacked for the last year at the at the bare minimum. How I think they'll play under Pablo Mastroeni, who is now the full-time head coach after taking over as an interim towards the end of last season. Mastroeni opened things up a bit during his time with RSL last year. They pushed numbers forward. They left things relatively open in midfield. We saw three at the back shape a lot uh, with Aaron Herrera as that right-sided center back, another one of those hybrids. We saw a 4-2-3-1 as well. I'd expect that we could see some of both that uh, this season for RSL. And I'd also expect Mastroeni to, to close things down a little bit more than he did at the end of last season to get this team compressing space a bit more, being more compact and attacking in transition at times, certainly. 
One player to watch, it's got to be Demir Krylak for this team. He finished tied for fifth in the league last year with, with goals. Um, he had 16 of them, eight assists as well. He'll be 32 at the start of the season, turns 33 in April. But his skill set, I think, will age well. He's never been this really hyper-mobile kind of player. He's a guy who can play as a second forward, as a 10, or as a number 8. He's technical on the ball. He makes good runs into the box, times his movement quite well. And especially with Rusnak gone, Krylak is going to have to be a big piece for this team. And he was last year, but it's going to have to be an even bigger load that he's carrying this season, at least until more pieces arrive for RSL. Krylak is certainly one to keep your eyes on. David Ochoa is another guy that certainly deserves a mention here. He was maybe the villain for this team last year, or certainly the key yep. figure of that no-shot win over Seattle. 21-year-old goalkeeper, Mexican international, former U.S. international. Uh, my very specific prediction is a David Ochoa prediction. Ooh. It's that he will get sent off for dissension at some point this year. This feels like a <laughs> gimme, guys. This feels like yeah. the easiest one. I don't think I'd actually make this bet in Vegas, but man, I, I'd come close. Ochoa is wild. He has some room to improve as a shot stopper, but is a huge talent. Like, like would have been in contention for the, the label of the U.S.'s next goalkeeper in the generation after Zach mm-hmm. Steffen and Matt Turner. He has uh, a beef with Adrian Heath dating back to last season after he kicked a ball into the stands and Adrian Heath took some issue with that and then they went back and forth in the media for a while. It was really entertaining for all of us and was absolutely insane against the Sounders in the playoffs, as I mentioned. (laughs) He was rolling around on the ground. He was taking his time. He was, if we could have had a David Ochoa cam for that game, I would have watched, I'm not even lying, probably every single second of that. Um, it's that good. So David Ochoa will get sent off for dissension at some point this year. RSL, I'm thinking, are going to be pretty pretty entertaining, but that Ochoa one is my VSP. Oh, I'm so so excited to have David Ochoa back in my life. <laughs> I'm so excited for when they go to Seattle because I, I genuinely can't tell if he will be booed the whole game and it will affect him or if he like knows he's in their heads now and kind of do what he wants. That game, RSL at Seattle, I cannot wait for that one to happen. Uh, I'm really excited about this MLS season. We've done... 10 of the uh, the teams in the West. Gentlemen, we've made a lot of progress in our MLS previews. One more break, and then we will finish it up. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. Four teams remain. San Jose, Seattle, Sporting KC, and Vancouver. Uh, I like that we've gone sporting for Kansas City. It gets a little confusing sometimes with some of the the uh, alphabetical listing, <laughs> yeah, but let's yeah. just go straight to San Jose and let Graham Ruffin tell us all about them. Lifelong San Jose fan, Graham Ruffin. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, do I have to tell you about the San Jose Earthquakes? Can I not have, an, have another team we just skip over them entirely? <laughs> Holy crap. Wow. Wow. And that's coming from a lifelong fan. Folks. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll let, I'm really Graham angry. Ruffin on Twitter. At Graham yeah. Ruffin on Twitter. <laughs> that's how you know I'm angry. No, but honestly, it's it's nothing uh, personal against San Jose or the Earthquakes. Like, there's, I think that's why I find it frustrating talking and, and looking into the Earthquakes because, like, there's so much potential in that Bay Area for like a really good franchise, and I'm just I'm not entirely sure that they're they're fulfilling that potential. Let's recap 2021. They finished 10th in the Western Conference. That's obviously not where they want to be as a team, but it's it's kind of difficult to work out what the plan is to improve on that. There's been chat about Matessa Almeida's future. Is he staying? Does he want to be there? Do the Quakes want him to be there? Is he leaving? Is this his final year with the Quakes? There's a lot of uncertainty around him and just in general around this entire organization at the moment. It's seeped into everything. They don't seem to have much of a clear vision. It's all in a little bit of limbo right now. In terms of the off-season changes, Wando is no longer at, at the club or in professional soccer after he retired at the end of last season. Mexican centre-back Osvaldo Alanis returned to Chivas after the Quakes. Um, they decided against making his loan stay a, a permanent one. So that's two key departures. Arrivals, uh, San Jose, they traded Jaimeiro Montero from from Philly. He's a DP for the Quakes now. Uh, Jan Gregas, uh, he has come in from Minnesota United after uh, Minnesota declined his contract option. And then in defence, uh, former Chicago Fire and Costa Rica international uh, Francisco Calvo. He's He's been signed in free agency, obviously a familiar name. He's uh, an experienced figure in MLS. So he definitely gives Almeida some an- another option in, in, in defence. Um, Almeida has favoured a 4-2-3-1 shape during his time as San Jose boss, but there have been signs that he's experimenting with a 3-4-3 shape in some of the preseason games that the Quakes have played. Uh, San Jose, they have a reputation for being a, a man-marking side, although that re- reputation started to sag last season when some of their uh, interception and defensive dual stats were not that impressive, certainly when you compare them to, to 2020, when they, they were up there as some of the best in, in the league. And um, to be frank, you might uh, be, be able to tell this already, I'm, ju- I'm just really not convinced this is a, a good team at all, not in terms of their... 
their their general lack of vision, also their their structure, and just maybe a little, a lack of individual talent. I don't really see who's replacing Wondolowski in this side. I think one Quakes player who could be a star is Cade Cowell. Um, he's still only eighteen. There's a lot of talk about a European move at some point in his future, and with Wondo no longer in this team, this could be the time for Kyle to make that next step in his career and he is regarded as one of the best young American players in MLS so maybe this I'm not going to say a breakout year because he already had a breakout year but maybe this is the year that he becomes a, a key performer a consistent performer that is a lot of pressure I hear you Drogba that is a lot of pressure though to put on a teenager maybe Espinosa shares some of that burden in attack but um, yeah I, I just think it's never the sign of a well-run club well-run club when they need a young player like Kyle to take two or three steps up to make something work, I think that is the sign of poor recruitment, poor planning. You should never really be reliant on a young player like that. Um, so again, even though Kyle is a very promising player, I just hope that the Quakes don't expect too much from him this season. My VSP relates to the impact Kyle will have on this San Jose team. They averaged the fourth, fourth most dribbles per 90 last season. They are a team that is built for players to burst into attacking third. And I think Cowell, who averaged 1.2 dribbles per 90 last season, he will be a top 20 dribbler in MLS this season. So he needs to be pushing those numbers up to 1.7, 1.8 per 90. And I think maybe just because they're going to be looking to him more, he's going to be seeing more of the ball, he's going to be more of an outlet, he will probably hit those numbers. Graham, uh, quick question for me. For you, like, like personally, what's the line between backing a young player and putting too much pressure on that young player? Because you can see those moments when a player, a youngster mm-hmm. is basically, we're giving them the keys, they're going to run the attack, but we've put enough pieces around them to give them that freedom, to give them that flexibility. Do you, do you have thoughts on this, sort of what that line is or what the difference is with San Jose? Yeah, I think the difference is if if you were to take that player out of the team for a period, you could still cope without them. You know, you're not you're not entirely reliant on them producing something that other players can't. So, you know, I, I look at this is a, a a big name, elite level example, but you look at how City have uh, Manchester City that is have have uh, integrated Phil Foden. You know, they kind of gradually put him into the team. Now he is a key figure for them, but mm-hmm. it, you never got the sense that they needed Phil Foden two years ago. There were players who could do what he he does. And with San Jose and Cade Cowell, I'm just concerned that, as I say, with Wando leaving, there's going to be a lot of attacking burden on him in every single game they play. If they take him out of that team, who's who's going to bring that for them? And that is that is my concern, is that it's a lot to put in his shoulders right from the start of this season. I think I, I got a couple things. I think... I have I have a lot more faith in Christian Espinosa and Jeremy Obobasi and and even Montero I think than you do Graham but those guys certainly are not maybe outside of Espinosa are not really proven MLS talent Montero sort of but he's never been yeah. hyper productive in midfield Obobasi still hasn't had a huge run as a nine so yeah I mean there's going to be a lot of eyes on Cowell mine included this season to see how he performs as a, a really aggressive, dribbly kind of player on that left side, physically dominant, even for such a young player. That'll be interesting to monitor. The, the question I wanted to ask you, Graham, is about Matias Almeida. You mentioned mm-hmm. how this is reportedly going to be his last season in San Jose. I've read those same things. How weird is that? Like, like in yeah. the context of, of soccer and how this whole coaching thing works, I can't think of a lot of situations where it seems pretty clear 
that, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be done after this season. So kind of whatever I've built is going to go away and you guys are going to have to start fresh because that's what's going to happen. Almeida's built this yeah. main marking system and his his successor is not going to do that. I mean, the odds are so low of that happening. So this uh, am I right to think that this Almeida situation is bizarre and pretty infrequent in soccer? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and that's what I, I was getting at at the start, where that situation is kind of affecting everything at the club. Because as you say, they, they, they can't really plan for anything right now. They're a year out from, let's just say this is his final year, which maybe it's an open secret that it is, given the reporting. Um, they can't really put anything in place until the end of this season. So it it just feels really bizarre. I think the whole Almeida... I don't know if it was, I was going to call it an experiment, but I actually think it was a bit of a coup when they got him, uh, uh, you know, like a couple of years ago. But if it was to end now, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a failure, you would have to say. And, and I do wonder what is, what's tying the, the quakes to Almeida? Like if he's, if he doesn't want to be there and he's leaving at the end of this year, why are they not just cutting their losses now and making a change so that they can actually affect something right now rather than waiting till 2023? I don't really get it. And of all the teams that I've researched, in these previews, the the, earthquake, the San Jose Earthquakes are the one that has been the most frustrating to me because I, I don't understand it at all. There are some teams like, you know, I didn't preview them, but Charlotte, like it's an expansion year, so they have some leeway. You know, Chicago Fire, they're rebuilding their, their roster. But what what's San Jose's excuse? I, I can't really come up with anything. It's almost like naming your team after a natural disaster is a bad idea and an ominous sign. We've got the earthquakes. We've got the Chicago <laughs> fire. I think Inter-Miami were originally named the Inter-Miami financial irregularities. So yeah. maybe just avoid <laughs> yeah. uh, that and there won't be issues or just have a ton of talent and maybe there won't be issues, which seems to be what the Seattle Sounders are going for. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, gentlemen. I mean, I'm inclined to say just give them MLS Cup now, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Joe, I know you've got thoughts elsewhere, but I got to talk about the Sounders for a moment. When last we saw them second in the Western Conference, uh, 53 goals for 33 against a plus 20 goal difference. Best defense in the West tied for the fourth best attack, which is insane because Nico Ladero and Jordan Morris were almost completely absent and they were still the fourth most potent attack. In 2020, Nico Ladero had seven goals and six assists in 20 games. Jordan Morris had 10 goals and seven assists in 22 games in 2020. Last year, zero goals, zero assists for either. 11 games total, nine for Ladero, only about 500 minutes played. So having those two back and ready to go would probably be enough, but then they did some things. First off, they could have lost a ton of talent, but instead found a way to retain Freddie Montero, Will Bruin, Kellen Rowe, and Alex Roldan. And then, on a free, they got Albert Rusnak. Now, he's a free, but then is also a designated player. He is making some money, but this is a player who scored 41 goals, 39 assists, and 140 appearances for RSL. So they've got a ridiculous amount of talent in there, and they do still have depth. They do lose a couple veterans. Uh, left wing back uh, Brad Smith, Graham mentioned him yesterday, goes to DC United for some gam. Uh, 27 games, three goals, and four assists, but he kind of fell out of favor with Jimmy Madronda in there. You've got Nuhu in there, so they've still got plenty of talent there. Shane O'Neill, center back, uh, played 28 games last year. He goes to Toronto as a free agent. Uh, excuse me, he's 28 years old. He played 27 games. And that might be more of an issue because Seattle fairly light when it comes to their center backs. That seems to be a recurring pattern with a lot of teams we are talking about. But this Seattle team, they're just going to be very, very good, gentlemen. I mean, you look at their expected lineup. 
Uh, you've got Fry in goal, not a bad place to start. You're going to have probably Nuhu or Madronda on the left. You're going to have Alex Rodon on the right. You'll have Arriaga and Andrade in the middle. Uh, Abdullah Sissoku backing them up. They do need maybe one more center back. Jao Pedro uh, got a new deal. He'll be there for a while. Christian Roldan ahead of them. Nico Ladero as their 10. Jordan Morris on the left. Albert Rusnak on the right. And then Raul Ruiz Diaz, who also got a new deal up top. Freddie Montero, Will Bruin in there for depth, but they are just loaded across the board. And that's why I am predicting that Seattle will have the best goal difference in Major League Soccer. As I said last year, it was plus 20, and that was the best in the West. They were joint third overall with NYCFC behind Nashville plus 22 and New England plus 24. This year, key players back, depth all over the place. Rusnak can be a difference maker. I think their goal difference is absurd. I think they are top of the West. I think they are a very good team. Uh, that said, like they are due for an implosion, right? Like every MLS team at some point ha- has a meltdown, and maybe that's Seattle this year. But I just I cannot see it. Brian Schmetzer is is there and stable. They're a stable organization. They make smart decisions. They play good soccer. They've got great fans. Lots of reasons for optimism for Seattle. Joe, do you see any reasons for negativity, or do you see any other reasons for positivity? I mean, all the reasons for positivity that you mentioned, Taylor, are spot on. This is an incredibly deep team, one of the most talented teams in MLS history, it seems to me at the moment. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of things that I I think you can critique about this team right now. The one thing that I'm interested to see, I'm not really concerned necessarily, but is how how Rusnak really fits into this group because he's the really the one unknown yeah, right sure. now. Jordan Morris has been here and he's done this before. He'll provide verticality. He'll provide some depth in behind, some variance to how this team attacks. But Rusnak also wants to get on the ball. You know, I'm, I'm not as high on Rusnak as a lot of people are. He's a good player, certainly, and, and can produce in this league. But he's not... I don't not a, a top 20 player for me, really, in MLS, but he loves to get on the ball and play as if he is one of those guys. And in RSL, he had every right to do that. But in Seattle, how does he balance playing with Ladero? Can Ladero stay healthy? How do those players interact with Rui Diaz in the midfield? Does Seattle go back to a back four after they had so much success with a three at the back shape last year? I have questions about this team, but I, I think anybody would be a fool to not predict them, at least at, at, at what we know right now, would not predict them to, to finish at the top of the West. You'd be a fool not to. One other question for you, Joe. As I said, Joe Paulo signs a contract extension, but a team like RSL, you mentioned RSL needs another central midfielder. If somebody were trying to lure him, is he DP quality? Like, do you think he could justify being a designated player? Yeah, for sure. He's he's that good. He was in the MVP conversation last yep. year. He can get on the ball. He's really technical. He can cover ground. He's everything you want in that central midfield group, and he is a key building block for the Seattle team. I do not think that anybody will be able to lure him out of there. I will put it this way, because I agree with you. Looking at this team, I, I genuinely thought for a moment, like if there were another club, not to just continue to go back to Inter-Miami, but like if there were another team that were maybe bending financial rules, uh, Seattle would be one I would look at. They have five <laughs> players who I think could be designated players or who yeah. have that talent. The three that are designated players, Jao Pedro and Jordan Morris. Uh, even Nuhu is just, he, he played lights out at uh, AFCON this year. I, I won't be surprised if they get some bids for him, especially this summer. Uh, and maybe he ends up moving on, but I think he's such a great performer for them. Uh, Fry is obviously just an incredibly experienced and valuable goalkeeper. I just think they're incredibly loaded. Uh, Graham, any, any positivity you'd like to shine on Seattle? Well, I, I just think there, there's such a, 
they're such a complete team in a way that in a way that is rare in MLS. Yeah. Like the way the way MLS is constructed, it's just the way the league is with the the trade rules and the transfer rules and everything. It is very difficult to build a complete squad. You know, like most most teams have a very clear weakness. If you're good in attack, you're bad in defense. If you're good in defense, you're you you know bad in attack. Whereas I can't really recall. Maybe there is a team, but I, off the top of my head, I can't really recall a team where you go through each area of their mm-hmm. as of their team as you did there, Taylor, and be like, got a good goalkeeper, got good fullbacks, decent defense, excellent midfield, excellent attack. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I don't really know how they've managed to construct that squad, but they've done a very good job of it. Magic and witchcraft, aka it's Garth probably- Lagerway. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's probably the better answer, Joe. Yours is slightly more realistic. Uh, what about Sporting KC? Are they also using magic and witchcraft? Uh, if they had been, they should have used it to protect Alan Polito. Um, and they, <laughs> they did not. He's out for the season with a knee injury. We'll get to that more uh, in just a minute. Sporting Kansas City finished third in the Western Conference last year, lost in the conference semifinals. A disappointing end to that season, but still, they're right around the area you'd expect them to be in the West as one of the best teams in that conference. They lost Ilya. Taylor, you talked about that, that earlier with LAFC. Mm-hmm. Jalen Lindsay's off to Charlotte. Alan Polito, like I just said, is still on the roster, but he is out for the season after uh, knee surgery. He's still taking up one of those DP spots. It's a challenge, really, for SKC to navigate life without Alan Polito this season. He is maybe their most important player. Maybe you know that could go to the wingers. Uh, but but he's a huge loss for this group. In terms of arrivals that Peter Vermees and SKC have brought in, they added some U22 players. Um, the U22 initiative allows clubs to sign players that are 22 or younger at, at really nice contracts to, to take them off of the cap, mostly. They signed another number nine to, to replace Polito, 25-year-old uh, Montenegrin striker. But I don't know how effective he's going to be for this team. I, they don't have enough tape on him really to know but it's going to be between Nicola and and then Kyrie Shelton to try and eat up minutes at the nine. Maybe we'll see Gaddy Kinda up there a little bit, and he's he's usually a number eight, but he could do that job and play it similarly somewhat, at least to how Polito does. We'll see how that whole situation unfolds as the year goes on. But I do expect it'll be a 4-3-3. High possession numbers again this season would be my guess. They were second in the league in that stat last year, only behind Atlanta United, and could very well move up to first in that category this season. High pressing had the third most pressures in the attacking third last year. They play really modern soccer in that sense. They play the kind of soccer that you expect a team with the talent they have to play. Really aggressive wingers in Johnny Russell and, and Daniel Shalloway both had great seasons last year. Shalloway had 16 goals, 7 assists. Russell had 15 goals, 7 assists. Russell's dangerous starting on the right and cutting in on his left. Shallow is dangerous on the left, cutting in onto his right. They do similar things. Russell's a, a bit more aggressive in how he attacks. But man, they are extremely threatening. Those two guys are without a doubt my, my players to watch for this team this season. But I do want to give a little bit of love to a couple other SKC guys. One of is is Gatti Kinda, who I mentioned, but I love his game in, in in midfield for Sporting Kansas City. Aggressive, moves really well off the ball. He's got some quality in his game as well, can progress play. He's a presence in the press too. He is really effective in that in that midfield role. And then one other player I wanted to mention, Graham Zusi, still involved in this team. He's an effective presence for them. How much does he play this year on the wrong side of 30? I don't know, but he's still certainly kicking around on that right wing for SKC. My very specific prediction for this group in my last preview of the MLS season is that no team's starting wingers will combine for more goals and assists than Johnny Russell and Daniel Shalloway. There are other contenders here, certainly one of which is the one we just were talking about 
and the Seattle Sounders with Rusnak and, and Morris. There's other ones too, Atlanta United with Almada and with Araujo, LAFC with Bain Rodriguez and Carlos Vela, maybe even Dallas if they can get those wingers really producing. But I like Sporting Kansas City's odds here. Their wingers are going to be huge, certainly huge without Alan Polito, and they were already big for this team last year. If SKC want to win the West, they're going to need borderline MVP level production from both of those wide attackers. And it's not impossible for that to happen, you guys. Uh, Joe, forgive me. Who are the two extremely dangerous, talented players to watch? Johnny Russell and Daniel Shaway. Oh, okay, cool. That relating to your prediction. There it is. Yes, uh, there you go. And Graham, an obvious question for you. Uh, do you remember Mirko Vucinic? Yes, I right. Do. Uh, every time I see a Montenegrin forward who has a vaguely that name name, I get really excited because I'm like, Mirko Vucinic is still here? He's 38 years old. But no, it's Nikola Vujnovic, <laughs> who I'm now going to call Nikola Mini Mirko Vucinic Vujnovic. That should be an easy one. That's not a tongue twister <laughs> at all. Sporting KC fans, I hope you, uh, you picked that one up. Uh, Joe, well done with Sporting KC. Well done with all of your previews. I think thus far we've done... A 27 out of 28 job. Graham, can you make it a perfect 100? I will try my best. So, to finish it off, the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, their 2021 season can be split into two, before Vanni Sartini and after Vanni Sartini, or as I like to look at it, before Ryan Gold and after Ryan Gold. <laughs> um, the Caps were drifting until the mid-season, uh, changing manager, and then all of a sudden Vancouver became one of the best in-transition teams in the division. They kind of scraped into the playoffs just because they had given themselves um, so much work to do, um, but then they lost to Sporting KC in the first round. However, there is there, there is a sense even then, there was a sense even then, that the Caps were looking to 2022 when they could make a, a real impact. Heading into this season, Vancouver have tried to keep the same group together. Continuity is a, is a big word for them, and so there haven't been all that many changes. The biggest departure is undoubtedly um, a guy that we mentioned earlier in this in this pod, Maxime Crapeau, who's traded to LAFC for $1 million in GAM. He's considered one of the best goalkeepers in the league, so that could be something that stops Vancouver from building on last season. They are counting on... Um, Homegrown kid Thomas Hassal being Crippo's replacement. So a little bit of a, an unknown element there. You also have uh, Gianni Bichel, who was loaned from uh, Vancouver to Vicenza and uh, Serie B in Italy. He's He's gone as well, another departure. In terms of additions, there's only one notable name, Tristan Blackman. He has arrived from LAFC via Charlotte FC in the expansion draft. MLS, got to love your uh, trade rules there. Um, and it's, pro- it's likely that he will be an important player for uh, the Caps on the uh, the right side of their defensive unit, or rather, I should say, the right side of a, of a central defensive unit. Um, this is a team that's already pretty established. The core of this roster is there. They showed in the second half of the season last year that they're a good team. So I don't think the lack of activity is, is necessarily a bad thing. This is a dynamic, energetic team who like to use their, their pace on the break. Vancouver can play some pretty exhilarating stuff, and on their day, they can be one of the, the best attacking outfits in MLS. Um, last season, they had Kripal to to mask any defensive lapses or weaknesses they had they had in the back. That's a concern. Injuries um, have also been a problem in their defensive ranks, so maybe that is another concern as well. Let's identify a star player, a player to watch. There is no way I was ever going to pick any other star player <laughs> than Ryan Gold. Let's get real about this. What an impact he made for uh, the Whitecaps last season. Four goals and five assists in 19 games. 
he is he's perfect for this team. The Va- Vancouver needed someone who was going to get into the box more often, and that's what Gold brings. He is so technically good. He's always been that good with the ball from the moment he broke through as a teenager at, at Dundee United all those years ago. Um, he, there was there's been a lot of excitement about him. It's not just that he is an an excellent individual talent. He he brings the best out of others around him as well. Casado and and White in that attack. He's just a really nice fit for this Vancouver team. And um, I think if Vancouver are going to have a big season, it's reasonable to, to suggest that Gold is also going to have a big season as as, as a star player for them. And um, by the way, one thing Gold has added to his game, something that I've never seen from him before in his career, is headers. He is he's a small person, um, and so to see him score so many headers for Vancouver last season was a bit weird for me, someone who's watched him throughout his career. But I guess it does say a lot about those runs he's he's making into yeah. the box. Um, so. That that's maybe an excellent explanation. He's timing them well. It doesn't really matter that he's he's not really jumping above people. It's just the timing of those runs. Finally, my final VSP of the season. It has to be something gold related. It has to be something bold to finish these previews on. I can't go out on a whimper. So hold on to your hats here. Ryan Gold MVP right there. <laughs> <Mind drop. laughs> I love it. Do it, Graham. I think I th- I think there's a pretty good track record of foreign MLS players being better in their second season. I, th- I think if uh, you look at how Gold did from the get-go for this team last year, he's going to be, you know, they've done more extra work in the off-season, integrating him. They should, in theory, be an even better attacking unit given they've got that continuity. So as I say, go big or go home with my final, preview, uh, final VSP of the season, Gold, v- MVP. Heard it here first. I love uh, it. And when he wins MVP, will he still be ignored by Steve Clark? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's (laughs) definitely going to happen. Johnny Russell and uh, Ryan Gold are going to battle it out for MVP in MLS this season, and neither will be in the Scotland squad at any time in 2022. (laughs) That's a given. Graham, I like that there was was no homerism there. There was no bias at all, just straightforward (laughs) reporting of the situation with with, with Vancouver. Uh, Joe, uh, Ryan Gold, you going to put some money on him as MVP? I am not, but I want to peel back the curtain a little bit here. So I assigned the teams. So Graham, yeah. you can take up your San Jose beef with me later if you want. But I gave, I, I wanted you to end with Vancouver because I wanted you to talk about Ryan Gold because I know how much you love him. Never in a million years did I think you were going to predict that he would be MVP, but I am so here for it, Graham. Do whatever makes you happy. You, you, you can read me like a book. Yeah. Vancouver and <laughs> me was it was a good fit purely for Mr. Gold. I'm a big fan of his. Joe, did you really start with Vancouver and work your way back? No, no, but okay. I was trying to decide which order we took. Like Taylor uh-huh. could have been you ending with Vancouver or mm-hmm. me ending with Vancouver, but I realized when that was one of the options okay. that it had to be Graham. <laughs> I, li- I like it a lot, my friend. I like it a lot. Joe, do you have any thoughts on, on any of those, uh, major awards? Do you have any predictions or do you prefer to, to keep your powder dry for now and instead just get, yelled at for your uh, predictions of where people will finish. That's my my preference. To be uh, honest, I, I kind of don't really believe in any of the MVP or like any of the individual player awards. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't really get that or think that it fits in soccer, but it is fun to talk about and it's fun as a discourse, but we can save that stuff for later in the year. That works for me. I do have one question for you, Joe, actually, about the, those rankings. I was looking at sort of where you were in relation to a lot of other writers. Tends to be a lot of commonality. The only one, you had Portland uh, as eighth in the West, and I think some people had them lower, some people had them higher, but that did seem like a, like a little bit of an outlier. What was it about Portland that you thought might be maybe not quite as good? 
I'm not sold on their defending at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, especially now without Mora, which I, I didn't know when I made that prediction, but without Mora, I, I'm not as sold on their goal scoring production yeah. either. Um, Sebastian Blanco is an MVP. I just said also that was, but he's an MVP level talent. He could do that, but I also just think there's a lot of talent in the West this year. Vancouver can make the playoffs. SKC and Seattle, certainly I would expect to do so. Nashville now being in the West. Minnesota, LAFC. I mean, there's just so much quality, and I don't think I back Portland as much as those other teams. I'm sure I'm going to be wrong about that. I'm sure I've made some Portland fans mad, but I can take it. I can take it, you guys. Uh, And based on your rankings, uh, it, it stands to reason then that you would be okay with a Seattle NYCFC final? Yeah, I think that would be hugely entertaining. That would probably be the most talent-filled MLS Cup that we could have. Maybe LAFC are in that category, but I would be all aboard that final. Yeah, so the most talent we could possibly have means neither one of those teams will be in MLS Correct. Cup final. Correct. Uh, but we will talk, obviously, much more about the season as it goes, and certainly the playoffs. Those are a long, long way away that at the same time, when we get to them, we'll be like, oh, that felt like just yesterday we were previewing this, and here we are. That's how time works, it seems. Graham, before we go, uh, we got to get your jersey rankings uh, for the Western yeah. Conference. I know which team should be number one, and if you don't have them there, I will come through this monitor. But I turn it oh, over no, to you. Nervous. No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure at all. Okay, so my first pick is LAFC Attaboy. Home. Is that- yes, there we go. I think it's a really ex- excellent twist on the whole black and gold thing that LAFC have got with that kind of Art Deco-inspired pattern. That's Majestic. This- yeah, the centered badge is a gamble because cent- centered badges don't always work, but I like it on this design. It would be a 10 out of 10 if the sponsor was a little bit smaller. That's the only thing I've got against it, as I don't like sponsors what? that have a secondary line. <laughs> yeah, but they've also so got loud. power tools in there as well. Like, get rid of the power tools and it's, it's instantly better. But yeah, that, that's my number one pick in, in the West. My number two pick, this is probably the, the plainest kit that I have picked this year, but I'm, I've gone for Austin FC away. I love just I love the green that they've used for this kit. They've they haven't used that um before. Obviously this is only their second year in MLS, but yeah, I think it's it's a, a really clean look. Green home kit though, and green away kit, hmm, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um and then my third pick uh, in the West is the Portland Timbers away effort. It deserves a place in this in this list, I really like that rose design, and uh, I like how the base color is pale—a pale rose color rather than white, which maybe would have been the the natural thing to do with that design. It's something a little bit different. Um, and then my kind of honorable mention, which I don't know if I like this or or not. I just feel like I have to mention it. I, I want to like the Seattle Sounders home jersey this year oh, with the yeah. Tifo inspired design. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not that sold about the execution. Um, but as I said yesterday, like better to be weird and bad than bland and, and bad. And then one kit that I, I really don't like is, sorry, Toronto FC, like your team might be really good this year and you might have the best, uh, best player in the league, but your away shirt is not my favorite. Two shades of gray is just one too many shades of gray, mm. in my opinion. You, you only max one shade of gray. Two shades Not of gray anyway. sounds like the most romantic colors you can have at a Scottish wedding, no? <laughs> yeah, two shades of gray, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to get one in. Ryan's not here. I got to get him in somehow. Yeah, the Seattle one also, it looks like they kind of went for their own version of the Croatia jersey and then the printer ran out halfway through. Uh, so Yeah, I think, I think like, commit to it. Uh-huh. If you're going to do that pattern, and I like how it comes from the TIFO, like the, yeah, the, how the Seattle fans, like, put up those cards mm-hmm. before kickoff. I like all that. But I don't know, just like the the way it's kind of like dragged through the middle of it. Uh, 
it's the execution I'm not so keen on. Yeah, the LAFC one I was a big, big fan of. I had not seen the Portland away jersey, and now I am all in on that one. It reminds me of that, that like the the historical kits that are made that uh, Icarus Football makes, and the Ottoman yeah. Empire one. That's what it reminds me of. So I'm all in on that one. I'm all in on Major League Soccer. I'm really excited for the season to begin. I'm really excited that we have covered all 28 teams and done so in relatively concise manner. Thank you, Drogba and my coffee cup for that. <laughs> Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much, my friend, for taking all the time to preview all these teams. I'm assuming you will have some more MLS content content coming out in written form. Yes, oh, for sure. Keep an eye out for all of that stuff as the season goes along. But no, thank you, Taylor, for, for having me and for conducting us, as always. Yes, sir. My pleasure. Graham Ruthven, same to you, my friend. Always lovely to chat and hear about your jerseys and hear about your <laughs> Scotland loyalties. <laughs> thank you, Taylor. And uh, well done to you as well for... Uh, for commandeering this this good ship TSS MLS previews for 2022. <laughs> In your face, Ryan Bailey. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you all again very soon.